Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, we sit down with process designer and creative director, Andy Chin. Suffice it to say, Andy works for a large corporation. So large, in fact, we aren't allowed to say who it is. But we can tell you this, we'll talk with Andy about what it's like to run a small design practice within a publicly traded enterprise. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show and I'm at Josh Miles. And while you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed Show. We'd love to have a rating from you and help other people find the show. So without further ado, please welcome Andy Chen. Andy Chen, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing well, too. All right, Andy, so we can get started here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role and title. So well, lately, I've been working as a creative director for an innovation concept lab group of a healthcare company. Very cool. A large healthcare company to be to remain unnamed during our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Shrouded in complete mystery. Want to um, do want to thank our friend Eric Deckers, who's a, a writer here in Indianapolis, who I think made the introduction to Andy. So I'm excited to hear from Andy, who's a bit of a, a modern uh, Renaissance man, and all the things that he's been involved with as a as a designer and artist and other things. Um, so so we could dive in a little bit and hear more about your uh, your projects and your design process and really how you got it started as a designer could you uh maybe start off and tell us a little bit about your your origin story and how you got started and what kind of introduced you to this world of design and art well i guess the big design focus started when i was working in the software industry and you know we were building things in the internet boom and it was a new way of communicating you know, and I was always interested in having things just work effectively. You know, part of the amazing thing of building software is, and, you know, design in general is you have an idea in your head and then later on in the day, you have something that exists that wasn't there before, you know, um, magical. Yeah. And so with the internet, you have this whole new medium and then you ha- the people are making up rules on how everything works together. Right. And then, so I just got really curious then about how things worked and why things were made the way they were. And there was this book, um, design of everyday things. I think it was Donald Norman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That talked about simple things like how do you have affordances to open a door, you know? Um, and I was just so fascinated by all these considerations and everything around you, you know, that are a lot deeper than you would take in from just a, a surface glance. Very cool. So the the interest in design just kind of spawned from your involvement in startup and software world. Yeah. And even in the software world, you know, when you're trying to come up with a new product, you have to um, not just come up with a functionality, you have to like wrap it in an experience um, and how to pitch it. Right. And just all the marketing side of that, along with, um, you know, the brand and how you want your company to perceive and who, you know, trying to wrestle with your identity and who you are. Does that fit what, um, people out there would actually want, you know? 
you want to tell us a little bit about what the software product was and kind of what problem you guys were seeking to solve? Yeah, the company was called Quovix. It was closed about 2005, so it's probably hard to find much about it anymore. But uh, we were doing crowdsourcing. So we worked with um, software developers and we had thousands of software developers around the world that were part of our community. And then we would pull them together um, to work on projects. And so it was in the beginning of the open source days. So it was influenced by that. And um, we also built a website for everyone to get together and communicate and collaborate. Cool. So it sounds like maybe you guys were just a couple of years ahead of your time. Yeah. So fast forwarding to today, give us an idea of kind of what your typical day looks like. Well, most of the work I'm doing now um, takes place in about you know three to six months of a project. And we'll have a concept um, within the healthcare industry that we really want to change how people experience what they do in it, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it in the beginning is just research and just sitting around um, mulling over ideas, you know, and... At that point, it's actually pretty frustrating for about a month because, you know, we are changing directions and throwing things out and coming up with, you know, crazy approaches every day, right? And so we'll be two days in and think like, oh, wow, we've got a great direction. And then two other days later, we'll be like, oh, that's crap. We can't go that way. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll learn something new that it doesn't work. So... You know, the work could range from that to um, specific things that we're researching. You know, Um, part of the work we're doing involves people giving healthcare remotely, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll need to do experiments like, you know, how much does audio quality really matter? And so then we'll send someone off and, you know, it's like, go figure out how audio quality works for a couple of weeks and then come Mm -hmm. back to us. And we won't know how that fits in to the overall project until later. We just know that, you know, here's an important component that's going to come up. So, you know, our days might be like weeks in the weeds on some small technical issue, you know, or it could be the overall story, right? Once we have an idea of the direction we're going in, we pull that into the notion of of a narrative. So what's interesting to me as well, some of the other folks that we're interviewing on this show are you know, more tactile or graphic designers or, you know, interior designers or architects. It sounds like a lot of what you're dealing with is, is really process and designed experience. And even as, as you started to say, you know, even getting into the narrative. So tell me about how your design approach kind of helps you in creating those stories or developing what that narrative should be. One of the early things we do is once we have an idea of like, here's a possible scenario of what our concept would work, how it would be different from how people are doing things today. Um, we come up with a little bit of an outline that tries to have a story arc, you know, that has something that builds up to something of attention that could be relieved. Right. And also a way to really consider the audience. You know, that's something we wrestle with a lot is, who is this message for and how do they fit into this story that we're trying to tell? Mm-hmm. And so our story, that's probably the most of where we throw out things that don't work is that we'll discover more about what we're trying to develop that it just doesn't fit for 
who are trying to tell it to that this audience doesn't fit into this story. You know, there's not a good place for them. And so once, so we'll get the outline list story. And then once we have a feel for that, we try to come up with some words, you know, some key principles that would describe what we're trying to accomplish, you know? So one example of this is we're trying to associate, how do you relate to what a patient goes through when they're ill? Mm -hmm. Right. And so for this particular project, we came up with responsive and considerate, you know, and it turned out that those words were really good guideposts for us through this whole project, because then everything we made was like, oh, well, is it responsive? You know, is it considerate? Um, and then we could test, you know, does this fit our story? And that went all the way down to, you know, the um, interface of something you would do on a phone, you know, and mm. when um, you schedule something, how does the experience of that work, you know, those words, is it, is it a considerate way to schedule something, you know, when you need to have a doctor's visit? all the way down to the animations in the UI um, to how available people are. So when you discover some of those guidepost type words, how do you guys socialize that within your team or talk a little bit about how your team, you know, learns to see what those guideposts are and, and how, how many folks are kind of involved in, in fleshing out what, what the rest of that experience looks like. Yeah. We have a core team of about 10 people and then, um, We'll pull in various experts from around the company here and there. The team is probably half software developers, got a couple of graphic designers. Um, we've got a uh, video editor. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a, you know, some expertise in um, some industrial design too. So we'll prototype physical things with electronics. So it almost sounds to me like a very entrepreneurial startup within a larger enterprise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting the work we do because none of it makes it to the market in the form that we have it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we kind of have the freedom to, to make things that are a lot more experimental that are prototypes without having the robustness of something that meets the market. But then we also miss it being tested that way too. So are there other groups within the organization that are similar to you guys? Are you one of several of these super secret prototyping groups or are you guys like the, the group? There are other groups that uh, have maybe similar disciplines, but I don't know of any that are as much as concept oriented as we are. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So tell us about one of your proudest moments as a designer. Well, at the end of one of these projects, um, what we end up is a, is with a presentation. And the presentation is something we've like this most recent one, we've given it maybe 30 times inside mm -hmm. and outside the company. And it's quite a bit of a production because it pulls together all the prototypes of the things we've been building mm -hmm. along with a story. And then we actually make, you know, props and accessories to tell this story. We, you know, um, this last one we made like kind of a, magnetic whiteboard um, diagram and we had CNC cut uh, lighted panels that would show the progress as we went along. Nice. Um, and we had stations that people could go to to try out the different technology and the rules that they were in. And 
what the amazing thing is, is when you start, you know, you have this, such frustration and not knowing where this is going to end up. And then to come to, at the end where you have so many different disciplines working, you know, it's like, how does this video that we're having that shows an actor at home trying to, to deal with something mesh in with this app that one of our developers is making and how does that work with, um, you know, this crazy prop that we have up on the stage. And when you see it all come together into you know, something that's actually cohesive at the end and that people go through and then they have a, a different view of how they're going to do their job afterwards, you know, it's, uh, it's so satisfying to get to that point. Yeah. That sounds pretty incredible that you're, you're not just, you know, working on a small project, you're actually impacting how maybe folks within an industry deal with mm -hmm. patients or deal with care or that, or even how patients experience certain parts of, of their treatment or, or care as well. I don't know about you, but occasionally we will hit rough spots as designers. And what do you do when you get stuck or, you know, you get kind of locked up an idea or something doesn't quite go how you want it to do? What's, what's the best way for you to kind of freshen up or kind of shake that out? Usually I just go take a walk, maybe do some reading, you know, if, uh, you know, there's enough time, just take a break and think about another problem for a while. You know, all the work we do is kind of a remix of stuff we know before, right? Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a free association exercise until you end up with uh, <laughs> something that you can understand. Um, so usually when you have a block, you just try to, to pull yourself away from the problem for a little bit. Um, either that or it's a great time to, to bring it up to somebody else. Yeah, very cool. I think the ability to iterate off of things that you've thought of before, things that your team has done before, and just to kind of take it to new places is, is kind of the heart of what makes, what makes design better. Mm -hmm. One designer I used to work with would always joke. He was ripping himself off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen this before. Oh yeah. I sort of did this before and, but this is better. This is better. Tell me a little bit about, you know, you guys are obviously tackling some, some big problems, but do you have like a, a dream job or a really exciting project that you'd like to be involved in in the future? Is there something you can tell us more about? Oh, for me, it's always been hard to tell where those things come from. You know, I'll just have something that seems really interesting to pursue. And it turns out that later on, there's a good fit for it somewhere. So I don't know what those things are right now. Um, you know, some of the side things that I've been pursuing are some 3D design and printing. I've been building drones. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, you know, I still am active um, in the arts community. And yeah, I don't know what, what mix of that would come in later. The, the work I'm doing now is really satisfying because it does combine a lot of the different types of experiences I've had before. So you've been involved in like, you're a photographer as well as uh, have kind of been the director of a, of a gallery before. So tell me how those passions kind of play into what you do today and maybe how you see those taking you in a different direction in the future. Well, the photography uh, taught me a lot about composition and uh, how to edit. So when you take a picture, 
you know, our minds, when we look at something in front of us, they naturally focus in on what we should be paying attention to. But when you take a photograph, there's nothing that does that for you. You have to basically remove everything that's not important. So it's kind of the opposite of making a painting or a drawing, right? For the painting, you start from nothing and you're adding things that you think might be important. Mm-hmm. Whereas with photography, you have the whole world around you and you've got to decide what needs to be removed. And what remains is the, the image that you want to create, right? And that turns out when I'm designing a lot of how I approach things is that, you know, first you immerse yourself in the environment. You know, the client has a particular problem they want to solve, but maybe the way they're describing it isn't really the struggle that they have, you know? So you just got to sit there and rest in it for a while. And then they probably have an idea of an approach they'd like to take, right? And you have all these different possibilities about how do you first identify this, this problem that they want something to be better with. And then you've got all these possibilities on how to solve it. And then you got to start deciding what do you remove until you have an approach that's the path to take. Um, and then you've got ways to test those. That's the edit, right? So even when you take pictures, like these days with digital photography, you can take thousands of pictures. It's trivial, right? But then how do you end up with the 15? That's the cohesive project at the end. You know, there's a lot of iterating and throwing out things that are your favorites um, and going with an approach that serves the entire project rather than maybe a specific image that you really like. You know, on the surface, when I read that you were a process designer, a creative director, a photographer and a gallery director, that those things almost didn't even make sense on the same page. But as I hear you talk about them, there's certainly this theme of, you know, observation and curation and putting together the pieces just by viewing all the things that are possible and then kind of slicing and dicing down to those specific things that you want your audience to, to be aware of. So it's really cool how you've stitched all those pieces together. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, with the gallery, uh, curating exhibits was, a blast. You know, uh, one of the exhibits we did, this was probably about four years ago, was called Social Currency. And it was a photography exhibit about how people use photographs as basically money in their social interactions. You know, like this is how I am giving value to somebody else or showing that I want value from you is through these images that we share. And so, to just come up within the gallery ourselves to develop this idea and then to invite all these artists in to put their different spin on it, you know, that we didn't know what they would contribute. And then to weave it all together was, you know, it was really nice to see how it came out. Do you think that obsession of like being able to look at all these different artists and seeing what different pieces they're going to bring to the party, if you will, is helpful when you're looking at how to develop a process inside of the, of your current work organization? Yeah. So one of our principles is that the work is the thing that's to be served, you know, and it's not someone's individual idea of how good or bad that their idea is to contribute, but whether when an idea is proposed, can we use that to serve 
the project, right? And when you approach it that way, then it's not a risk to throw out an idea because even if the idea is something that's thrown away, maybe it will get us on a different path to consider what to do for the overall larger project, right? And if you get that type of collaboration where everyone is interested in how they can better serve the project than they can serve themselves, then it becomes something that everyone owns and it's not everyone just trying to fulfill one person's vision. And, and that's in the, in collaboration, both the art and um, with the corporate work that I'm doing, that's something I'm really looking for. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you, um, do you find that you find inspiration within the four walls of the organization or outside of work or from your team members or really what drives you to find something fresh and new? We find inspiration all over the place. I mean, from how I interact with my kids to, um, something I appreciated when I was taking a walk and the way the leaves fell to, um, like we're working in healthcare. So whenever I go to the doctor, I'm analyzing all the experiences I have of how I'm being treated, what I'm being asked to do. <laughs> you know, we get inspired from, you know, the novels that we're reading and the TV shows that we watch, um, you know, from seeing in art exhibits, you know, all kinds of things. Do you have any particular design heroes or designers or artists that you are inspired by or? folks that you look up to probably more recently i'd say pixar mm -hmm. would be an example of that um maybe just, for obvious reasons but tell us about <laughs> why pixar uh there there's just such a heart to what they create and that you can tell that like the values of the people that created it were able to survive the process of getting it produced and distributed yeah right and that comes down a lot to the process of the team and what the and how they interact and support each other and and work through tough situations and how they um, allow ideas to be nurtured from something that's really fragile to until you know it it can be delivered in a theater. Um, and I just you know I love their movies. I love the way they, they tell stories and the characters that they have and even like, like the way the visuals work. Yeah. I think what's kind of incredible is, you know, besides the, the great stories in all of their films and then the incredible visual details of even, you know, it's, it's sort of a cartoon, but the, you know, to see the, the fur on the monster in monsters Inc or the detail mm -hmm. on the toys or, or whatever it is. But I think it was um, maybe the, dvd commentary i don't know about your kids but my kids like to just play dvds on repeat and repeat and repeat and eventually they found one of these kind of behind the scenes stories of toy story two or three about how they had a really tough time making sure that the story held together and that they didn't just go to market with something that was crap but to make sure it was actually refined and was actually working together and you know from a distance it's easy to look at pixar and think well they've got it all figured out but this story really made it sound like, no, they've got, they have all those same problems, but it's cool that they have the resilience to, to keep it together on those films and make sure they're pushing forward with, with excellence. Yeah. In fact, um, I think maybe it was with more than even one of the toy stories where they had the film 80, 90% developed and they decided to completely rewrite the script because it wasn't working. Do you ever get to that point with, with some of your projects where you feel like you're 
you're right at the finish line and you've got to back up and reconsider because of something new that you found? <laughs> yeah. Um, you try not to do that too late in the process. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in the case of uh, Toy Story, who knows what kind of junk they would have released if they hadn't gone back and, you know, rewritten those parts. Yeah, right. I mean, you got to balance the risk. You don't. Because once there's a certain point in a project that once it's delivered, it takes on a life that's not you anymore. You know, it's its own thing. And you want to prepare that thing to be, you know, as well prepared as you can, kind of like a kid, you know, (laughs) before you let them out into the world. But then once it's out there, you feel responsible for having it exist, you know? So you don't want something that's, that's bad out there having an impact beyond you. <laughs> yeah. You feel like it's, it's your reputation. <laughs> yeah. When your kid messes up, it's on you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you think the next 10 years look like for you. Where do you think you're going to be in 10 years and what's, what's the, you know, some of your latest obsessions that you think are going to drive you to get there? Well, so right now there are all these different um, things that are merging in, in, when it comes to making things that are um, a lot lower cost and a lot more available than that ever would have been. So we've got computers in everybody's pockets, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got 3D printers that allow you to iterate really quickly on a physical idea. You know, it used to be if you had something physical you wanted to try out, you would send it out to a shop and wait two weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of dollars later, you get something back and then you decide what you want to change. And now you can do that in two hours, right? So, and now we've got electrical components that, you know, Raspberry Pi, I don't know if you've been following that. Um, they came out last week with a $5 computer wow. that does what, you know, years ago would have been a $2,000 computer. And it's a $5 computer the size of a stick of gum, right? And you stick that into some physical thing that you're creating or say a drone that's coming out and the ability to pull those things together on your own and have a complete product is amazing. That's why you're seeing all these products that are coming out on Kickstarter now, because all the components to do this are now available. Right. And so now you're having people that used to need to focus on one discipline because Uh, It was so expensive and you needed to have such a deep understanding and to make progress on it. Now being able to combine several of them together to, to, to realize a a complete integrated thing. And so those are the types of things that I'm excited to experiment with on the side. And yeah, I don't know where that's going. Cool. So as you know, all the pieces and parts and technology ultimately become commoditized in the most extreme sense of the word that, you know, a computer that would have been hundreds of thousands years ago or $2,000 last year is now $5 this year. So Mm -hmm. obviously the value is no longer necessarily in the physical thing or getting your hands on it or having access to make it, but it's really, you know, how do you feel that's going to impact the intellectual property or the value of the thinking? We'll see. Um, (laughs) So one way to approach it is you just make it uh, things available for free, right? And right now when people are just experimenting, that's actually very useful. When 
the web first came about, for example, there was no documentation on how to put together websites. There weren't even books. You know, you would go and look up the specification for HTML online, or you would Mm -hmm. view the source of a page. And people shared everything they had because no one knew exactly what this was for yet. Yeah. Right. And the more we shared, the better we learned. And that's happening now with, say, 3D printing, right? I've got some designs on this site called Thingiverse. And those are fully shared. You can go and take them and anyone else can go and and print what I've made, you know, because the value there isn't for something that that I want to sell yet. It's just something I want to experiment with. And it's delightful just to see that other people could benefit from it. Yeah, very cool. Andy, before we wrap up here, are there any good places that folks can find you online or if they want to learn more, kind of continue chatting with you? What's a good place to track you down? Yeah, on Twitter, I am at what Andy saw. And um, I also have a photography website. That's what Andy saw.com. That's a little bit outdated since I've focused a little bit less on exhibiting since I've been in the, this role that I'm in now. But yeah, it's the, that'd be a good way to reach me. Cool. So before we let you go, do you have any single piece of advice you'd like to leave all the young designers listening to this podcast with? <laughs> um, don't deliver what people ask for, but you got to find out what they need. And whatever you make, it's not about you. It's making your customer the hero because if you make them look amazing, then, then you've solved the, the problem that's out there in front of you. And then that makes you and your team amazing. There you have it, folks. Make your customer look amazing and everybody wins. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Thank you. All right, boys and girls, that's show number four officially in the books. Thanks so much for joining us again for our chat with Andy Chen. And head on over to obsessedshow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to The Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend Cassie Joe for providing her song, Matchbox Girl, that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.